Sam, one episode this week wasn't enough. We decided to come back just three short days after recording the last episode because there's been so much action this weekend before the international break. I am joined by a man who did not win a penalty that took seven minutes worth of VAR review, Nick Govinden. Yes, it was seven long minutes. It was seven minutes to where my asshole was really, really tight. And, you know, Allison Becker... Had to come to the rescue several times, and I had to, uh, you know, there was a lot of de-stressing and, and meditation that I had to do after this game. But luckily, Liverpool picked up all three points at Sellers Park. And we're also joined by a man named Caleb Rhodes, who right now would be the second best goalie on Comoros' national team. Yeah, honestly, like, bring me in. Like, I'm down. Let's start off in the Prem, where... I would say a pretty decent weekend of fixtures. We had Newcastle beating Leeds in a, in a relegation uh, six-pointer off of a, a pretty soft free-kick goal from John Joe Shelby. We had Aston Villa versus Everton, where Villa picked up the win in a game which featured $215 million worth of ex-Barcelona transfers. But of course, I think the biggest matches of the weekend occurred today, the latest game when Chelsea put Spurs to the sword courtesy of just an absurd goal from Hakim Ziyech. And I think Spurs have been building up a good bit of form, but Chelsea finally broke out of their slump a little bit offensively in this one. Yeah, I mean, Spurs clearly need to do some business in the final week of this transfer window because although you know they've been getting some good results against mid-table teams and teams towards the bottom of the league, this is their third loss to this Chelsea team this month alone. They have not scored a goal against them. And there's a clear gulf between them and the top teams in the table. And Antonio Conte can only do so much. I think he's actually done quite a bit with the players that he has at his disposal. But the need for them to shift on, you know, looks like Tongi Ndombele might be on his way to PSG. Uh, Deli Ali looks like he's set to leave the club. Uh, Giovanni Lucelso perhaps is looking towards the exit door. So the need for them to get you know bodies out of the club and new players through the door who fit Conte's system uh, is absolutely necessary. And the need for that was on full display when Spurs lined up today with six defenders, not four defenders, not five defenders, but six defenders in a back four. It was kind of like a four 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 one four one ish formation. And, you know, they really just, they had absolutely nothing. You know, there was only one moment from Harry Kane, the controversial goal that got called back. That was the real only chance of the match. And I thought Chelsea, you know, who've been poor in, in recent weeks, you know, not picking up a lot of wins. I think it's something only like, you know, two wins out of seven or something like that. Thomas Tuchel is under some real pressure now for the first time in his Chelsea tenure, able to get the victory today. And I think pull Chelsea, definitely not back into title contention, but certainly, you know, competing with Liverpool and, and City at the top of the table. Yeah, and I think this was a, you know, you talk about a game that shows kind of the gulf between these two clubs. I think that's also seen in the fact that both squads were relatively depleted and had to, you know, reach into their their bench and reserves to put together an 11. I mean, Chelsea, too, are, are still playing Kepa and Goal, who I actually thought had a 
pretty solid game while Mendy is away at AFCON. They also played a back four filled with, you know, four center backs, including the rare appearance of, of Saar at left back and Azpilicueta at right back. Um, Lukaku didn't even have to have a good day for, for Chelsea to win. And as I, as you said, I think this is a massive result for Chelsea and, and a pretty poor result for Spurs, um, who, you know, couldn't rely on any Bergvine magic today. He had a few, I think, half chances, none of which he, he struck with any venom at all. Um, I do think it's funny. I'm not sure we've actually talked about this all that much on the pod, but it's been a running theme in our, our chats about how bad Emerson Royale has been for Spurs. And I do think it's somewhat amusing that on a day when they played six defenders in the starting 11, um, Emerson Royale was not one of them and nor was Sergi Reguillon. Um, but I do think change needs to be afoot um, at Tottenham as, you know, Conte, coming against his former side for the third time in a month. And as you said, Nick, not scoring, conceding plenty. Um, and at the end of the day, not really troubling Chelsea at all. Yeah. Spurs right now sitting in, in, in seventh and not looking that much better than an Arsenal who had an off week or a West Ham or even a Man U. So hard to see where, where they go exactly from here. Right. I think the benefit is that Spurs have a few more games in hand than the other teams ahead of them. You know, certainly more games than Manchester United and, and Arsenal. But I think, you know, the worry is that their defense is still super shaky under Conte. And, you know, the man who is deputizing for Emerson Royale today, Jafet Tanganga, had a truly <laughs> terrible showing up against Callum Hudson-Odoi who probably had what I would consider to be one of his better performances in a Chelsea shirt under Thomas Tuchel. Like he looked like a totally revitalized player going 1v1 against Tunganga and, you know, creating or setting up the opportunity for Hakim Ziyech to score that absolute beaut of a goal. These are my favorite kind of goals. You know, the ones that kind of hang in the air and feel like they're suspended in time before they hit the back of the net. So, you know, pure magic alone, that was beautiful to witness. But I think, you know, definitely some clear worries for this Tottenham team if they can't get some transfers done. It reminded me of Asensio versus Barcelona. You know, it was one of those types of distance strikes that, as you said, really hangs in the air. Nathan, you're our kind of resident, you know, Hakim Ziyech well, expert. In the last month, I think we've seen a lot of different versions of him, but he's starting to come into his own. What do you make bad of versions. the game? Mostly bad versions. Uh, but today was a good version. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he used to score goals like this once every like three matches with Ajax because teams would just sit off him. And he has a great shot. He scored that worldie against Valencia in the Champions League that was pretty similar. He does have a knack for making shots um, go incredibly close to the post. Like this shot took about, this shot had like an NFL punt kind of hang time to it. Um, but yeah, he's now scored in back-to-back -back matches and obviously having decided to not play for Morocco in AFCON or sort of having decided by mutual um, uh, by mutual consent to not play at AFCON. I, I don't think it was his choice. I think the coach just kind of froze him out. Yeah, I, but sort of with good reason though, right? Like, like Ziyech. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems sort like of, he's not the easiest person to get along with. Yeah, I think Ziyech has a bit of sort of off-field off issues that he doesn't really give himself, he doesn't really do himself any favors, but he's looked really good the last couple of weeks and I think he, he plays well from out wide. So um, yeah, it's good for him. 
I also thought, you know, Doherty probably could have been sent off for that, that sort of late stud to ankle contact early on. And that probably would have doomed Spurs, but you know, I did, I did leg day today and it's one of those leg days where like, you know, I could, I, it's like hard to walk right now. And I'm pretty sure I would actually be um, a better option at right back than uh, Emerson Royale would have been in that case. So certainly questions for Spurs questions for Arsenal who haven't scored in three matches now. Um, but I think we'd be amiss if we didn't talk about the just ludicrous VAR incident at the end of the Liverpool Crystal Palace match. It might not have had any bearing on the result itself, but it's certainly indicative of a lot of the failings of VAR that we've uh, we've talked about this year. Right. Uh, before we move on, can we can they revoke Emerson's title? <laughs> Emerson. <laughs> Emerson yeah, can, commoner. <laughs> yeah. Can you just become yeah, Emerson the a- commoner? Pull a little print Emerson the peasant there and yeah no yeah but uh your titles aside <laughs> um yeah I mean this was definitely like the, the controversial incident of the weekend you know Liverpool 2-1 up at Sellers Park having played one of their best halves of the season you know, the first half where without Salah and Mane they looked like a buccaneering team with you know Alex Oxlade Chamberlain filling in that right wing position playing phenomenally though the midfield was in total uh, Harmony, you know, Curtis Jones came in and he was, you know, pinging passes left, right, and center. Jordan Henderson finally looked like he could, you know, pass the ball 10 yards and not give it away. I think and then it all sort of kind of like fell apart in the second half. Patrick Vieira made a very astute tactical switch where he had Otson Edouard manmark Fabinho out of the game. And without Fabinho, you know, Liverpool really have this giant chasm between their defense and, this, and their midfield. And Jeffrey Slup uh, exploited that, played this beautiful through ball in, and, you know, Crystal Palace were 2-1 down and back into the game. But before or late on in the second half, Trent Alexander-Arnold pings this ball into the box and Diogo Jota takes it down. His touch is poor. But then he kind of like maneuvers his way into colliding with Gaita, the Crystal Palace goalkeeper. And he goes down and Kevin Friend, you know, makes nothing of it. He waves for play to go on. And then, you know, play stops dead for about three minutes as Kevin Friend is like listening to his earpiece. And then he goes over to the monitor for another two minutes and he watches this play in like <laughs> horrible slow motion for another two minutes. And then he finally awards, you know, a very controversial penalty that Fabinho puts away. So I think Liverpool probably were going to go on and get all three points. And we should credit Liverpool for not dropping officially, you know, the AFCON period that they're going to be know without their players is over by the time you know they, they resume play and they play Cardiff in the FA Cup Salamane and Kaita will all be back so Liverpool have maneuvered this period very well but it's certainly you know a controversial decision in this one yeah um, I think it was a controversial decision I think it was probably decided incorrectly however I think Liverpool would have won this game anyway and and, and did deserve to win this game. It was definitely a, a tale of two halves though. I, I texted, you know, and I was watching the first half. I was so impressed with how Liverpool came out of the gates here. Crisp, technical, you know, very adventurous moving forward, getting the early goal through Van Dyke and then a deserved second. Um, I will give credit though, on the flip side to, to Crystal Palace, who I think showed great resolve to, you know, go toe-to-toe, I think, for most of the second half at Liverpool. I think Olise um, ha- ha- was excellent in this game. Um, and I think just comparing this result to 
the three nil loss um, in the reverse fixture has shown that this Crystal Palace team, I think, has shown a lot of growth uh, this season under Vieira. And while there was this moment of controversy, I think it was an entertaining game overall that ultimately had the right result. Um, and both teams, one way or another, can feel, you know, like they achieved something at the at full time. Yeah, and I mean, just on that penalty decision, it's an absurd call. It's almost like FIFA-esque, like if a player lagged into your goalie um, when the ball had clearly gone. Like, if that's a penalty, I mean, Guaita has to feel incredibly hard done by. But of course, it didn't end up really impacting the result that much. So maybe we're just reading too much into it. Um, But I, you know, I really disliked that call. Um, Maybe even more so because it didn't really impact the match and the delay that close to full time. Um, You know, in general, I think if you have to look at something for more than two minutes, you're probably not going to change your mind. Um, well, right. That's the that's the, that's you know the the point of contention is that it originally wasn't an issue for Kevin Friend, and then he gets you know the the voice in his ear, which he listens to for about three minutes, and then he goes over to the monitor for even more time. So it's clear that the decision making on the pitch was not entirely his, and I think that's the frustration. Right, is that there's no consistency between you know who's making the decision on the field versus who's making the decision in the VAR room. And we don't really have any transparency when it comes to why the decision was made at all. And, you know, I think different referees this season have made different decisions when it comes to, you know, what's a penalty and what isn't. Right. Uh, Elsewhere around the Prem, United got a a little Fergie time winner from from Marcus Rashford. I would say it was probably a deserved winner. I think it was coming. Uh, And I actually really like the fact that United have been starting Anthony Alanga on the wing because you know, he's been, he's been producing and he, he fits their system pretty well, obviously not substituting out Ronaldo um, this time as they did against Brentford. Um, but maybe the other big game that we should talk about briefly is just the Newcastle Leeds match, because, you know, right now, Newcastle are a point away from escaping the drop zone, um, despite having a few game, a few more games played and Leeds are looking dangerously poor right now. I mean, Leeds, talk about another team that desperately needs January recruitment because, you know, this team has been plagued by injuries all season to their key players. You know, Calvin Phillips hasn't played in months at this point. Patrick Bamford came back from injury, scored, and then got injured in the celebration, has been out ever since. And I think this is a team that can't rely on Daniel James playing in the center forward role and, you know, Stuart Dallas playing out of position um, Robin Koch playing out of position. I think this is a team that is desperately in need of of one or two or three signings. You know, maybe a defender and a midfielder. Certainly, they need at least you know a, a second reliable goal scorer. And I think Rafinha is a player who is probably for me you know the best player outside of the big six clubs at this juncture. And and he is going to certainly win them some matches just on his own. He's that talented. He's that silky. But he he needs backup. He desperately needs backup. And the Leeds goals that we had gotten so accustomed to last season, you know, they would go out and they would, you know, win a game 3-2 or they would lose a game 4-3. You know, those goals have seemingly dried up, but the defensive inconsistencies have remained because, you know, their team has been so plagued by injuries. But yeah, this is a huge, huge, huge result for Newcastle on the road only their second win of the season yes it was an incredibly soft goal for Melier to concede but a rare clean sheet for Eddie Howe which I think is huge especially with 
you know, the anticipation of perhaps Diego Carlos signing from Sevilla. And I think Newcastle are certainly a team that is pushing to get players to the door. So this is a massive, massive result for them. And I think the more teams they can draw into this relegation dogfight, the better. You know, Everton and Leeds included. Yeah, and and one way we've talked about, you know, drawing teams into the dogfight is by signing top players from other clubs. We we've had this I think we had this discussion a few weeks ago also, but I'm not sure we point pinpointed this. Hear me out. Rafinha to Newcastle. I mean, I would it's, cry. I mean, it, it's <laughs> I just don't think I don't really think that he'd make that move. When you're getting linked to the Bayerns and PSGs of the world, Liverpool's. Um, and yeah, and Liverpool's of the world. So I wasn't wasn't trying to exclude Liverpool there, but how dare you? you? Know, um, I want him. I, I, I actually want him bad. Okay, uh, I actually thought Chris Wood looked pretty decent in his in his debut. Um, I mean, obviously they could do with an upgrade on Ryan Fraser, uh, but you know, I, I mean, Rafinha was just heads and shoulders. Uh, you know, the best player on the pitch, the most talented, and even though not everything he tried came off. He's just a step ahead of, of, of teams at that level. And I think he is definitely the next player outside the big six to pull a Jota and to really excel at a top club. Um, and I also think that Newcastle have bigger issues to, to sort out before signing another sort of creative attacker. But uh, shall we move on? Anything else in the Prem? Do we want to talk about Villa Everton at all in the, in the getting hit with a bottle? I'm I mean, celebrating. Yeah, we got to talk about the bottle situation because yeah. Antonio Rudiger also got you know pelted with some lighters today in the the Chelsea Spurs match, and I think this is becoming you know a really scary thing where it seems like behavior in Premier League crowds is becoming way more and more unhinged. You know, we're seeing a lot more projectiles. It's becoming you know, more French. There it I is say. becoming a lot more Ligue 1. They finally conquered England. <laughs> um, yep, <laughs> but I think this is a case of like, I mean, Tim Howard said today during the NBC sports broadcast that, you know, the Premier League are leaving this far too long in the tooth for anything to change. And it's going to take, you know, a player getting seriously injured by a projectile in order for things to change. And I hope that's not the case because I really, you know, the Premier League is is probably the biggest spectacle league, you know, domestic league in the world. And it does not need, you know, these off the field fan issues to really plague this game. Yes, I mean, fully agreed. In terms of the game itself, it played out roughly how we might have expected it would. Steven Gerrard perfectly happy to kind of twist the knife into a, an ailing Everton and, and Luca Dina, who, you know, I think left Everton not on the greatest terms at all, by no fault of his own, really, uh, providing the assist to Buendia, um, definitely feeling good about his his most recent transfer to the Midlands club. I think it's interesting before we move on that with the introduction of Coutinho that Gerard is playing way more of a similar formation to that of his his Rangers team last season. This kind of like Christmas tree-esque 4-3-2-1 with two kind of roaming number 10s, you know Coutinho and Buendia and I think that's a partnership that we can see really flourish towards the second half of the season. You know, these two players are able to really link up and interchange positions, and we see them both popping up on the right and the left, and that Coutinho can drop in a bit centrally and allow Jacob Ramsey to push up, and he's had a real, you know, explosive uh, entry into, you know, the Premier League this season. Jacob Ramsey, I think he's been a tremendous player. Um, 
And I think this this Aston Villa team is going to really improve if Gerard can kind of get his tactical system uh, implemented there as quickly as he can. Yeah, I mean, Dinia has been, Dinia I thought was the best player on the pitch in this game. I thought Coutinho struggled a little bit. He didn't really get on the ball all that much. And I really like Jacob Ramsey as well. He can really hit the ball. Um, and Douglas Louise is a player who I think Man City should have bought back, you know, last year as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see what the future holds for Villa because they, you know, obviously drastically underperformed earlier on this season and they seem to be bouncing back up towards the middle of the table, which is, uh, which is good. You know, I like Stevie G. He, he was really giving it, I mean, giving it, Everton fans were really giving it to him and he sort of laughed it off, which gave know, it right I back. Really, yeah. Which I, which I really liked. I mean, hard to, hard to pull a much more baller move than showing up to Goodison park, you know, formerly your biggest rival and, and beating them one nil. So I think that probably wraps up England. I think this was a better than expected game week though. In Spain, we had a lot of late drama on yesterday and today Madrid, you know, suffered through a missed penalty and a Benzema injury to score two goals in the last 10 minutes. Uh, Barcelona obviously left it very, very late before Frankie de Jong scored the easiest goal of his career. And then yesterday we had another incredible comeback with Atleti scoring three goals against Valencia, two in the last four minutes of the game and added time. So Caleb, uh, you get the pick of the litter, but where do you want to start with, with this weekend's La Liga fixtures? Uh, I feel like we should probably just go somewhat chronologically. Um, you know, Sevilla, as you said, drew 2-2 with, with Celta Viga having to come back themselves. They remain in second place, but, you know, lost ground. Um, I don't know what was in the water this week. I feel like normally we spend more time on the Prem because often the Prem can provide a little, you know, more interest. But but this week, I think it was La Liga's turn um, in the spotlight with a lot of goals, a lot of drama. Atleti finally finding their footing, if you can really call it that, um, having to rely upon, you know, Mario Hermoso, who I think is somewhat underrated as a, as a sort of utility defender uh, to win it in the 93rd minute. And then normally in, in, in Barcelona's game today against Alaves on what was the club's, you know, 101st anniversary of existence, uh, we, we would succumb to a, you know, late counterattack goal of some kind. We were pretty inspired. I would actually go so far as to say that this was one of our worst games of the season um, in a season that has, has featured a lot of bad games. Um, but somehow, Jose Lu, who pretty much only scores header, missed a point-blank header. And as you said, Nathan, uh, Frankie de Jong had a nice tap-in from a layoff from Ferran Torres. And we got the win. And suddenly, you know, looking at the table, La Liga is uh, is pretty bunched up. Madrid remain in the lead, but I don't know if we know how long Benzema will be out or if he's going to bounce back. Um, and then next week, we see Atleti play Barcelona in what could be, you know, a key, key match between the fourth and fifth place team in the league as they both try to sort of surpass one of the Sevilla sides in Sevilla and Betis to sort of squeak their way into the top four in a season when you know, neither club um, has, has convinced at all. But good action all around, and, and I think a good advertisement for what La Liga can offer. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it can go understated how important this win was for Atletico Madrid. They'd only won two of their last nine games coming into this, 
And this was a huge, huge victory for them to head into the international break with three points. I think their their home form has been particularly woeful this season. You know, they dropped a lot of games in the Champions League and they lost at home to Mallorca. Uh, this has been, you know, a, a truly, truly trying season for Atleti. They've lost a lot of pieces over the summer. Um, and I think, you know, they've been, they've been dealing with injuries as well. And I think for them to get this kind of like very galvanizing 3-2 win at the death, you know, scoring some goals. I think goals have been a real issue for Atleti this season. They only score about one goal a game, which if you're a defending champion, you know, that's going to be really hard for you to maintain any pace in the league if you're trying to defend crown with only one goal a game, if that. But I think, you know, the players who have shown up for Atleti throughout the entirety of this season, you know, Yannick Carrasco and Thomas Lamar played exceptionally well once again. I think Carrasco was was brilliant in this game. He was awarded the man of the match. He had an assist. He's been amazing all season, totally consistent. I think he's probably the one Atleti player who can, you know, hold his head high this season. But yeah, there's going to need to be a lot of improvement from Diego Simeone and Atleti in the second half of the season. And that can start by them, you know, picking up some points against Barcelona. Yeah, I think there's big concern for Real Madrid as well, you know, losing Benzema, who shouldered so much of the scoring weight. I will say Vinicius has just been on another planet this season. Uh, Watching him in this game, he has the kind of ability to take over games that uh, I don't think Real Madrid have really had since, you know, maybe, maybe, what, early 2010s Ronaldo where he can just, you know, dominate the game for 10 or 15 minutes at a time, Um, you know, and the fact that he's only 21 years old and he's got 12 goals and five assists, but is playing with so much confidence and is scoring and assisting from all over the pitch. um, That's, that's really encouraging. Did you guys see Eden Hazard's uh, dive for a penalty that got chalked off? Yeah, I did. Well, the irony (laughs) is that like Vinicius is, is doing what, Real Madrid thought they were buying Eden Hazard to do. You know, obviously Eden Hazard's transfer to Madrid has been one that's been plagued by injuries, disappointment, and being overweight. And Vinicius is a guy, Nathan, I think I totally agree, that is going to be, you know, along with perhaps Kylian Mbappe, like one of the tent poles of this Real Madrid team for the next decade or so. And to see him, you know, come into his own this season after you know, a really, I don't, I mean, not the greatest of seasons last year. And obviously that viral moment with Benzema has been huge. You know, Hazard did play in this game and he had an impact, but, you know, certainly not that of Vinicius, who I think is just lapping him at this point. But yeah, the Benzema injury is a huge cause for concern. Luka Jovic came on in this game and was pretty poor, you know, didn't have many touches of the ball. You know, the play filters through Benzema, it seems. The play certainly does not filter through Luka Jovic so that is a huge concern and they're gonna hope that Benzema doesn't miss much time and he was all Jovic was also pretty poor against you know the same opponents uh in midweek in the Copa del Rey and they don't really have you know that many other options that can play through the middle I think Mariano is still out injured right now I could have that wrong um but I think Benzema as you said it has been the glue to this team um and he missed a penalty in this one before he limped off injured, but I think it will cause, uh, you know, a sea change in how they attack and maybe will be an opportunity for Vinicius to sort of kick on and, and only increase his influence, but definitely a massive, massive, 
massive miss. It was also, you know, before we just before we move on from La Liga, it, watching Luke de Jong play today was incredibly frustrating. And I know he was putting himself in some good positions, but watching him play made me really wish that Barcelona had started Martin Braithwaite instead. Because as much as Luke de Jong is an aerial threat and he can finish, um, he's just so painfully slow. And Barcelona, with the quality of passing that they had you know, from behind that front line of attackers today, we're creating chance after chance and he would run onto the ball, you know, going up against the last defender and just not have enough pace to chase it down. And uh, he really should have scored once or twice to put the game to bed far earlier than it, than it ended up. Yeah. If I'm yeah, Martin Braithwaite, I think, I think, you know, Braithwaite might not be the better player all in all, but uh, I think he's definitely worthy of a look right now up top. I, th- I think so. I just don't think he was ready for this game. Um, he just came back from a, a three-month injury layoff. He was on the bench today, but when we brought on attacking reinforcements, you know, we brought on Jutkla ahead of him. I think if Braithwaite was fit, we would have seen him. I just don't think he was ready to have, you know, many minutes in this game. Um, but as you said, what was missing for Barcelona today was some attacking impetus. Um, I'm really concerned about Ansu Fati, who's set to be out for, you know, between a month and a month and a half now, um, because without him, without Memphis Depay, you know, a front line of Abde, um, Luke de Jong and Ferran Torres just isn't enough to strike fear um, into opponents. Barcelona had 693 passes in the game today. It was the most they had this season. And yet we struggled to really create much in terms of end product. So I imagine we will see Braithwaite in the very near future. Just today was was not the day. He was too busy building smart homes in Philadelphia. Well, <laughs> which I looked, I looked into his real estate <laughs> investments after uh, the really? last podcast, <laughs> and that's uh, what he's been up to. It's his uncle who he's partnered with to like build these, you know, smart homes. I think in Philadelphia and other places. Well, I think that leaves us with, you know, one topic to discuss, and that is the absurd situation that's happening right now with Comoros, who are getting set to take on Cameroon in the knockout stages of AFCON. Their first goalkeeper, Salim Benboina, who plays for French fifth division team Atletico Marseille, was injured in the last game against Ghana, while both of his backups have tested positive for COVID. This means that Comoros have zero fit goalies. And because AFCON, like pretty much, uh, you know, every single global governing body of soccer is loath to make any sort of changes to help teams, they're not allowed to call up a reserve keeper. They have an unnamed outfield player that is getting set to play in goal against Cameroon in arguably the biggest match in their nation's history. They're only going to have a name. Yeah, wait, is his name unnamed? Is he like spawning right now? Or yeah, is this like a FM <laughs> no, I think, situation? I, I, I think they I think they just don't want to tell they don't want to tell, I guess, you know. But but honestly, how would that change? How, the, like if, no if you told me their center back, yeah, exactly. Like, ah, penalties, like who knows where he dies, right? Like right. Um, <laughs> but uh they're only gonna have three to four players available on the bench. They're also going up against Cameroon, who lead all teams with seven go- goals scored. So 
they are heavy, and are heavy, playing on home heavy, soil. Yeah, heavy, heavy, heavy underdogs right now at plus four thousand against Cameroon, who are two fifty to one favorites to win this game. But uh, I mean, as much as we all love an underdog story, I feel really bad for Comoros to get this far to be, uh, you know, denied the ability to call up a reserve goalie. And if your starting goalie is in the French fifth division. Like, think about that drop-off from, you know, the the first-choice Comoros goalie to, like, the fourth-choice Comoros goalie. Can it really get that much worse, though? I'm being honest. No, like, that's what, that's what I'm <laughs> no. saying. That's, yeah. what I'm, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, that's why I, I said, I mean. Caleb, like, you are the second-best Comoros goalie right now. Like, no, I probably, I probably am. Um, are the Comoros people, are they, are they tall? Or are they, like, short? <laughs> Like, like, am I like well above average? What? <laughs> I don't know. Um, All right, so I'm looking up Comoros average. Oh my god! Yeah, right now, <laughs> just indulge me. Uh, let's see. Comoros has a NA listed next to this study. Oh god, name. we don't even know. So we don't even okay. know. <laughs> so how many players? How many players from the stu- that that beat Ghana are going to be available to play in this game? I mean, it doesn't like matter. They're starting eleven, but I, I, I'm not, I'm not sure because they haven't okay. disclosed it doesn't matter, exactly but... as COVID. But yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't Listen, matter. They're gonna get, they're gonna get smacked. It's gonna be real sad. It's, it's, it's kind of, a, you know, it's something that we, we thought might have happened coming into this tournament with Omicron being what it is, and in Cameroon, you know, not having the greatest policies when it comes to COVID, and I think COVID being a real concern coming into this tournament. Um, it's sad that it's Comoros and a story that like we've all really enjoyed, but I think, you know, something like this was unfortunately bound to happen. And yeah, I mean, it's a disappointment because this tournament, I think in the past few days has provided some really great entertainment. And I hope, you know, this is the only instance of COVID being a real thorn in the side of the, you know, the narrative of this, of this entire AFCON. For whatever it's worth, uh, there isn't a Komori goalie who is taller than six two. When I look at their oh uh, their okay. recent call ups, so okay, so I at least match their stats. You could go in there, right. yeah. And they certainly don't have a scouting report on you. That's true. Yeah, you have to go doubt. deep, right? You'd have nope. to go real deep. Go into that that JV soccer you know huddle page for for Milton Academy from twenty fifteen to twenty sixteen, but. Yeah, safe to say that that uh, they probably won't be able to fly you in in time. You want to talk like, about me being totally wrong about Nigeria? <laughs> oh no, this is so sad. I felt kind of bad for I. I felt kind of bad for them because you know they are such a good soccer country. But yeah, I mean, really brutal today. I mean, yeah, I was you know only about two or three days ago was I saying that I thought that they were going to be the team that you know makes their way to the final had such a balanced game had such a balanced style like we're doing really well doing some really interesting things tactically nope failed to score a goal against tunisia and uh, <laughs> compounded by them sending on alex Awobi uh in the 59th minute to save their tournament uh and lo and behold he gets sent off seven minutes later straight red a bit of a harsh straight red but you know, a straight red nonetheless. A Wobi gonna Awobi and Nigeria uh, are out of the tournament and they've made me look quite foolish. Yeah, no, it, it was it was it was very sad. Um, but Tunisia were at least, you know, good money for their win. And I think this just 
throws it all the way back over to what I said in the last episode where whoever wins out in the quadrant of, you know, Ivory Coast, Egypt, uh, Morocco, and, and, you know, a little further off Malawi, I think has to feel that they are the favorites. Um, you know, the other game that was played today, Burkina Faso versus Gabon went to penalties. Burkina Faso won. Um, I guess maybe Senegal could could be, but yeah, I mean I don't the, know. the 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 prospect of a Senegal Mali match in the quarterfinals could be really interesting in that part of the bracket. But clearly, you know, wh- whatever team comes through in that Cote d'Ivoire Egypt game uh, on Wednesday will be uh, will should be one of the favorites. And assuming Morocco can take care of business against uh, Malawi, although uh, Guinea versus Cameroon could be fun as well. I think we're going to see some good matchups, you know, as this tournament winds to its conclusion over the next two weeks. Unfortunately, I think it's going to be able to have the spotlight completely on it right now um, as the rest of the sort of European football world goes into a, uh, an international break. Is there anything else that we want to touch upon before bidding adieu? Yeah, one last thing very quickly. I was shocked, and I sent this to the chat yesterday. Fabrizio Romano reported that for the first time since 2018, Mario Balotelli is set to be called up to the Italy national team by Roberto Mancini. Now, where does Mario Balotelli play these days, you might be asking, because you might have forgotten about Mario Mario Batali. Mario Balotelli. I almost certainly did, (laughs) even though he... he... (laughs) But he plays for... Adana Denispor in the Turkish Super League. And one might be asking, you know, what has he done to deserve this, you know, reintegration into the Euro champions? Well, let me tell you, he has scored a grand total of seven goals and has gotten two assists for Adana Denispor, a mid-table Turkish Super League side. And, you know, that is good enough for Roberto Mancini to call him back up and be you know, a striker in around this team that desperately needs to pick up some form heading into, you know, their, I think, ultimate destiny in this kind of Euro qualifying mini tournament that is eventually, you know, perhaps going to see them go up against Portugal. I just think it's an incredibly odd decision for Mancini to call up Balotelli. We know they have, you know, a prior relationship with, you know, at, at Manchester City and Inter Milan, and they're they're said to be very close but it seems to be like a huge, huge, huge gamble, especially when players like Federico Chiesa are set to miss out for the Italy national team in the near future. Yeah, I mean, if there's anyone who can get the best out of Mario Balotelli, it is Roberto Mancini. So, you know, he's pulling the ace up his sleeve, and I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know if the world is prepared for, you know, Mario Balotelli leading the line for Italy again. But honestly, international breaks are often dreadfully boring. Um, and so this at least gives me, you know, at least something to look forward to um, in the next few weeks without, without club football. I know it's, it's pretty wild to think about how, I mean, at least for me, Mario Balotelli's ascendancy was one of the first, uh, he was one of the first sort of superstars that I feel like I got to see being born in a certain sense with his display at the Euros. and. Uh, with his sort of <laughs> LA Galaxy miss. So it's crazy to me to think about uh, how how long ago that actually was and to see that he... The most important assist in Premier League history. Yeah, as as you will have heard in our intro, 
thousands of times, you know, the most important assist in Premier League history. It's pretty wild that, you know, a decade on he's, he's getting another chance, but I mean, I, I, I always liked him. I sort of hope he succeeds, but it's still a weird name to sort of pop up out of the blue. Yeah, I think definitely as soccer fans who were indoctrinated into the sport in you know the late 2000s, uh, early 2010s, you know, Balotelli is always going to be a bit of a cult name for us. But he did not play for either of your clubs. He did play for Liverpool. And boy, was that whole experience a disaster. So that kind of soured me on him a little bit. But I certainly, you know, hope he's successful for Italy. I think Chiro Mobile has certainly not been, you know, the greatest number nine for the Italian national team in the past year or so. So perhaps switching it up, you know, providing a bit of competition in that way could be a, a smart play for Mancini, but I think certainly a big gamble nonetheless. I think that probably just about wraps it up. There's some big games coming up in the on the international stage. Certainly, I know that I'm looking forward to watching the United States in their latest iteration of the Octagon. They've got El Salvador and Canada. Uh, and they could, you know, not just about clinch it, but, you know, getting six points from these next two games would put them in excellent position to secure qualification. Um, and, uh, of course, you know, the rest of the world also has qualifiers going on and AFCON will continue. So it'll be plenty for us to talk about uh, the next time we record. But until then, I have been Nathan Strauss. Caleb Rhodes. Why always me? I've been Nick Vinden. And we will see you all. Yes. And we will see you all next time.